Since the 1970s, entrepreneur Ian Schrager, founder and chairman of Ian Schrager Company, has achieved international recognition for concepts that have revolutionized the entertainment, residential, and hospitality industries. His passionate commitment to the modern lifestyle has been expressed through a series of pioneering concepts, including Studio 54 and Palladium nightclubs, 50 Gramercy Park North, 40 Bond, 215 Christie Street, and 160 Leroy residential developments, and Morgan's Hotel Group, public hotels, and addition hotels. Ian Schrager's groundbreaking concepts have changed the business and set industry standards that continue to be imitated around the world. So thank you very much, Ian, for coming to and agreeing to interview me. Um, we know each other a long time. And um, the reason I thought to ask you to come, everybody knows who you are. Everybody either knows you as Studio 54 or is this creative genius that um, has changed everything in the hotel lifestyle world, um, or both. And I think um, the reason I wanted to do this with you is I think if I, I think about our friendship, it's really rooted in creativity. I think that that's our real connection. I could be wrong, but... Um, so I think there's that part of why we became friends in the first place and what we liked and the things we talked about. And even through the years, my appreciation for what you do and your comments about <laughs> what I do. Um, and so that's really the, the, what I was thinking about in this sort of meeting. Um, and each of these... Um, interviews have a different topic so if you think that that's appropriate I'm thinking that that's our topic creativity mm -hmm. that's, that's fine with me uh, you know I'm not sure that that's what uh, made us friends that was definitely something we had in common and, and perhaps enhanced the friendship but I think there were many more things on many different levels other than that, but... But, it, but it's a similar sort of perception of the world. So... Well, I think the first thing uh, I would ask is uh, what motivated you and how did you get uh, started with fashion? Well, I never really wanted to be in fashion and I looked at fashion as a very superficial um, opportunity and that um, you know it wasn't gonna change the world in my mind so I looked at painting I was my room growing up had Michelangelo drawings and photos of, of sculptures and all that he'd done, and Rudolf Nureyev, who looked to me like the living version of Michelangelo. So 
I was really obsessed with form and the body and what I could do in that creative spirit with form and movement. And it wasn't until the universe takes you in different directions and you end up in, in the end in something you thought you'd never be in. But I think ultimately I'm known for swimwear and clothes that have to do with movement and the body because I was so rooted in studying anatomy and studying the form, uh, and I love doing stuff for dancers. So I, I think that that took me here without a plan. Do you think it had anything to do with uh, your living in New York City? I think, obviously, being a New Yorker and living in New York City during decades of very different political, economic situations change the way you do what you're doing. But New York is so vibrant and so stimulating that you can't help but feed off of other people because you're bumping into them, you're, you're connecting to them. So I think just like you, you can't help but feel the New York spirit in what you do. And uh, was it also the age that seemed to be the um, beginning of the age of uh, fashion in uh, in America and and in New York City? Yeah, you seem to be uh, right in the middle of it. Well, I think you and I agree that the '70s were probably the most prolific, um, inventive time for the fashion industry, the time when the industry really reached a plateau that um, couldn't have happened any other time, I think. And I'm so happy that I was in that time and I was part of it. Um, and I think that time is so influential now. There are so many things that are going on now in our world, and that 70s spirit is having um, a resurgent, not in a retrospective way, but in a parallel way, whether it's politics or um, sort of the disruption of new things happening. So I, I think that for us, we remember it in a very positive way, um, but I think that even though people are concerned and upset by disruption, you and I thrive on disruption. I think, to me, I love when there's an opportunity to do something different because people are ready. And you obviously look at all you're doing now um, that's disruptive and, and keeps you relevant and keeps me relevant. There's something about that that we connect to that went back to the 70s. You know what uh, amazes me about uh, your work is uh, after all this time, uh, I was just downstairs in the shop and I thought the clothes uh, were as good uh, as anything I have ever seen uh, you do after all this period of time. Kind of just amazing. And how do you maintain that uh, enthusiasm for something you've been doing for so long? I mean, the way you do, the more things you do, 
the more diverse things you do feed into what your core is. So I love doing this new lifestyle brand of, you know, I love everything about wellness. I love doing my book and doing all of these other projects and, and VR and, and all of that comes back in and then what my core is gets better because it rises up to this moment. You have a million projects going at the same time and they stimulate and excite you to create the newest thing. Uh, I've always seen you creative. No matter what you're going on, going on in your personal life, and uh, it just amazes me. It's very few and far between that you see a person uh, uh, whose work is just as good now as it was uh, in the very beginning. It's uh, you know kind of uh, amazing when you see all your uh, contemporaries and colleagues um, not keeping that standard of excellence uh, going, uh, uh, which you, you you still have. Um, but what do you think about the state of fashion today? Um, well, I, I think it's a critical, a critical point. I think fashion is impacted by a lot of things. One is we're looking at fashion in a, a practical sense, so sustainability is a very big point in real in the real world. So the the amount of people who think about fashion in an isolated way is reducing and in reducing. So fashion has to be relevant. And right now, where we make clothes, the type of clothes we make, are we gonna are we going to each of us as human beings own so many clothes that we have to throw them away? Or are we going to think about what we wear and recycle it in our lives? So when I think about the sleeping bag coat, that's a perfect example of modern fashion because you never throw it away. It can last your lifetime. It serves a purpose. It has a function. And it can be fashionable. I think about your life, your life and your relationship with clothes. It's exactly the same way. It's timeless, it's functions, and it says, I'm modern, I'm in the moment, even though you've been wearing the same clothes for as long as I know you. Of course, you'll get a thousand pair of socks until you've worn them all out. But, but that is sort of, that's the sensibility that's finally come round. So I was just in Los Angeles talking to people in Los Angeles. So Los Angeles has actually been here in this mindset for, for the, the function of the world and the practical wellness in the world and the way we should be in the behavior. And so fashion has been there, and in New York it's here. But I see it doing this. And I see not one being like the other, because it can't be, but the idea of seasonless clothes. 
the idea of sustainability and the way we produce things and the quantity of clothes we all need and what we should have really is this sensibility that's been there for a while affecting this fashion that may not be relevant in the same way it was in the past. So it doesn't mean it can't be creative. It doesn't mean it can't be beautiful. But it has to have this practical sense, this do we need clothes for every season? Or can we just layer a piece here and there the way they dress in in Los Angeles? So I think there's a new way of looking at things. The other new thing is this gender-fluid phrase is something that you know in the 70s, 50% of my customer, you know this well, were men. And they, I never made men's clothes. They were wearing my clothes. But it's like Mick Jagger would put makeup on and girls' clothes and swish around, and both men and women were attracted to him. Nobody looked at him like he was, oh, my God, how weird. That feeling is back again. And so now I see more men wearing my clothes and looking so hot, especially Gen Z and, and sort of that 20s to 30s and that free spirit about expressing their feminine side. So I, I think that there's a lot of stuff going on that's going to switch completely into this very modern way to look at the way we consume product. And right now there's too much of everything. Do you see it in, in what you're doing? Do you see an effect of sustainability and the practical side of, of doing things when you're putting a project together? Well, sustainability and the environment is very much on everybody's mind. Uh, and it is making a segue from being used as a marketing term to really you know, being thought of in a very kind of serious way. But um, my business is different than your business. Your business, you know, like a lot of other businesses, um, thrive with uh, the uh, kind of uh, uh, built-in obsolescence of mm. the product. And, uh, you know, because it's a business, you know, they, they, they want to have different mm. clothes every season and different yeah. iPhones yeah. every year. And so I, I don't think we're going to be able uh, to, get away, uh, to get away from that. So even though something is timeless, it's not meant to be timeless yeah. in reality. Uh, it's just uh, you know, not a viable business proposition. But I was thinking about the impact uh, on fashion of today uh, with uh, the um, uh, influences uh, and uh, technology and um, the entertainment world uh, getting into uh, and pretending to be fashion designers. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, social media is, and I should have mentioned this when you asked that question, um, social media is probably the most profound influence 
on fashion today, much more than designers, much more than any other influences been in the past. And so I think we can see that models now are almost independent too. So it's the number of followers you have, the number of people that want your story and to be to be following your story that create the influence that you have on a population. And so the authentic self is really the key. People really want to know the authentic self. So the authentic self in fashion is also important. So I'm I'm in a good place with that because I never went anywhere else. I've, I've been my authentic self. But there are so many brands that are going off in different directions and it's confused and the authentic self disappears. So social media forces that authenticity, which I think is good, but all, it also creates designers out of anybody. And I've always said that anybody can be a designer. Anybody. If you wear clothes, you can be a designer. Do you, do you have to know how to make a pattern? And do you have to know how to drape? And do you have to have the experience maybe that I have? Not anymore. And, and maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe there's something fresh that can come out of that. But I do think the influence of social media can't be underestimated. So if you think about the genius of the Kardashians, I mean, that's genius to think that you can create any business you want because you have this full following of, of millions of, of people who want to know about you and want to share what you offer. Um, there's a lot to learn from that. Maybe where we look at it and, and think, oh my God, is that quality? Is it this? Is it that? In the end, it's about reaching lots of people. And so if we learn how to do this in an intelligent way, whatever skill we have can be communicated. But I don't think the value of and I was telling my sample room today, I have some new people, and they said, oh, my God, we saw how you did, you created this on here, and then it turned into this, and now it's this. And this is so rare because most design work comes from either copying or being influenced by something, and it's rare that something is draped again. There are still some people that do it, but most people aren't. So does that need to be done anymore? Have I just sort of made myself extinct by saying maybe it's social media and communicating to numbers that's more important? And I do think there's truth in that. So I have to look at my skills and see how I can translate that to numbers of people and one of the ways is to talk about lifestyle, healthy lifestyle, and what that means as far as beauty and how women are empowered 
and their image is portrayed. So I think I have that asset that I think is very important for me to talk about for women, to help women. And I think the fashion will always be there, but I'm sharing the stage with a lot of other people who maybe have no fashion experience, but they know what they like, and there's a good business opportunity in that. But that's not the same as having talent and being creative and being clever and, and uh, using social media. It, 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 to me, it's not the same. I... No, it's not. It's not the same. It's absolutely not the same. It's different, and it's part of the disruption. It's part of understanding that there's a new game. And so... I sometimes you have to move forward and move in another direction. I still have the skill set. I just have to think about how to apply it now in another way. And I think um, I've been really curious about AI and how I can take my skill set with AI and do it with technology maybe. And so I'm curious about that. I don't feel I'm going to leave my skill behind. I just want to find another way to use it and make it worthwhile and sensible and smart. But it, it's the same for you. You, you. you know the more people know about you. Everybody wants to know about you. Everybody wants to know why you think a certain way, what what influences you. So when you post your which brilliant posts on Instagram, people are just blown away. And it's so specific and clear that your creative eye is so different from everybody else's on Instagram. So that power is communicated and it makes people want to know more about what you're doing and and I think that even in your world you can't deny how generations especially now are so curious about you and what you're doing even though there's another generation of people that know you in a different context so just by your Instagram you've opened a door that's fresh and exciting it's so funny you uh, uh, think like that. I, I think the influencers and the Instagram and all are, are marketing. They don't, um, it's a different thing than having talent and cre being creative. I mean, it's funny, I don't look at your, what you do is having a skill set, I, I, you know, or a craft. I'm, I'm not sure that part of what you do. I look at it as, as, as uh, creative and something magical and uh, that everybody can't do. That's what makes a good designer of, of everything. And uh, when you talk about um, the influences, yes, but it's just a clever marketing tool. And, and think about uh, the entertainers also use that platform and sell clothes. It's um, just different. Yeah. No, it's, it's totally different. 
Totally different. And um, I don't think it's going to change soon. I think it's just going to be more, um, which leads me back to your question, like, what do I think of fashion now? I think fashion is in a, a, a different mode. It's, in a, it's not a sleep mode, but it's a different mode. So, and, and I think it's going to reemerge in another way, but I do think technology, whether it's AI or some other technology, is going to take us to the next step. So a lot of it has to do with marketing. So I think about this gender-fluid concept where if you go to a store and you merchandise the store with that in mind, instead of having a men's department and women's department, you have jackets, shirts, pants, so I now have labels that have two sizes on them. So I have a men's size and a women's size. So if you like that jacket, here's your size as a man. And I show on my website a man and a woman in it. And it's not drag at all, not meant to be. And so it's just a different way of marketing that's, that can have an impact on the fashion industry and really start to force people to think of things in a different way. So I think that's where we are right now. It's not specifically about the clothes, but sustainability, function, and then how do we sell it, how do we show it, seem to be more important right now. And selling on Instagram has, is just an unbelievable way to communicate. So we put sleeping bag coats up on Instagram and my head was blown over how many people were buying sleeping bag coats that are not cheap. Over Instagram. On Instagram. So it was like, wait a minute, we have something to learn here. And we, we have a jumpsuit that was advertised as like the top jumpsuit that gets the best reviews for fit and style. And it was in Us at Weekly and like all of these things. And it was like, and it was sold on Instagram. So sold on Instagram? What, what do you on mean? Instagram. You mean you had an image of it on Instagram? My accounts that sell the jumpsuit, Revolve being the key account, sells it on Instagram. And man, they're just. You mean uh, you show a picture of it and, and they can you, touch something? You click it, shop. And it says shop, and it takes you right to the image on the product page, and you buy. So it takes you right to the uh, the product, product page on your site, yeah. your website. But but you don't have to go. See, nobody wants to go to a website to troll around anymore. People just don't do that anymore. Websites tell stories; they do other things. So when you put something on Instagram as you're flipping through, and like, oh, I like that. Click. Ah, I'm going to get it, bump by. So much more in keeping with what that habit is that we do when we're flipping through Instagram. So it, there's so much like that that I find very exciting and worth exploring. And again, telling your story directly the way you do with Instagram, doing it in that way too. Well, it's not a lot different than seeing a picture of a bathing suit in Cosmo and having an 800 number to call right. to buy it. Right. Uh, it's just uh, the technology is different, but
but the process, the human interaction, yeah, essentially the same. Yeah, yeah. I had one eight hundred eight Kamali when exactly that, and people would shop that way. But you know, remember we had faxes, and we you know we had all of these things we were doing at the same time. So now. I mean, Amazon spoiled us because if you if you have Prime, all you have to do is pick the item and buy, and that's it. You're done. So service is extraordinary. We do same-day delivery downstairs. I don't have clothing racks, as you could see. There's no racks. Does, does that mean you, you don't, not overnight, same day? Same day, and if it's after a certain time, you get it next morning. So if you no matter where you are, yeah. So or just well, in, the in, city. in the city. So if you come in, you're traveling to New York, and you want to take a look around, you can take your phone and scan whatever styles you like. Put it up, just put it right in, into the computer, and we can get you same day. If it's before three o'clock, after three o'clock, then it's the next morning, and it goes straight to your hotel. And why should you try on a bathing suit in a public place? What's crazy? So downstairs now, we're teaching people more and more, especially people who are older, who don't shop online as much, to like be comfortable with this. This is, will help you with your size. We have a lot of support service, and I find that great. And they do the trying on in their home. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they send back very easily yeah we have a sticker you just put it on it gets picked up one two three one eight hundred go fedex and and that's it so it's so simple it's it's a just a great experience so amazing uh, so amazing uh, that i you know that's the future of shopping i think don't you don't totally i mean uh, I when I buy shoes, I have no patience to sit and wait for somebody to go get my size. I start to jump out of my skin. I can't. I can't wait, and then I don't want to wait to get it paid for. So when I'm buying shoes or I'm looking for shoes for a photo shoot, I pick all the shoes from the different places I like, and I have them all timed to come in in the same one or two day period. I try them all on at the same time, and then the ones I don't want or don't fit right, I just send back. And it's like, what could be easier than that? I mean, that's it. It's simple. How do you uh, um, uh, kind of uh, resolve this uh, kind of conflict? Uh, You know, a lot of the uh, uh, retail businesses that have started online, like Warby Parker and... Mm -hmm. And, and a bunch of others, you know, uh, you know, uh, have now gone and are doing a lot of uh, retail stores and brick and mortar. You know, how does, um, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I think in, we're going to go back to having stores again in a different way. And I, and I think um, the experience, which is the word we hear, you really are the inventor of the experience. So Studio 54 was a visceral experience for every party you did, for everything you did. It was so intense that the memory 
of that is still today and most of those people are old and gray and like you not relevant but their children and their children's children heard about that experience that was the last time people had anything like that since then the experience has just been repetitive and dry not even repeating what you did but in retail especially, just repetitive, dry, do the same thing over and over again, even if it doesn't work kind of thing. So now is a time when people want that experience again. You know that well by, you know, Times Square edition, done. You did it again, right? So you know that the experience is super important now. Everybody knows that most people don't know what to do or how to do it. So we're in a time now for people to come up with what that experience is. So they're looking at opening stores to create a brand experience. Whoever comes up with the most clever, obviously, will do well. But I do think brick and mortar is going to come back, but it's going to serve that memorable experience that you want to go back for. So everybody at studio wanted to go back again. They wanted more. They wanted more. I need to feel this. So we are desperate for that even more now because our mobile devices have isolated all of us to such an extreme that we need to connect again. And and I, I think you did it brilliantly with Times Square. I mean, I really was so excited to see it, and I was excited to see how people were responding. And uh, even with that show you did at Public, I was transported to Cuba in that show. I went into that space. They were speaking Spanish. I felt like I was in Cuba completely. The energy in the room, the people, the dancers, I was transported. I had an experience. I wasn't watching a show. I was having an experience, which is why I was so excited, because that's what it was. So anything that's like that, and I don't know who has the magic that you have, that you can do that. I don't know who will do that now or who can do that, but somebody's got to come up with something. And it has to not just be one person, it has to be a lot of people in what the, their worlds are. Are you um, thinking about doing kind of uh, immersive uh, theatrical shopping experience? Uh? Yeah, I mean, I... Um, I feel strongly about VR, and I think VR and AI will help me express that experience. And so I'm working on it, but because VR, the equipment is so expensive, it sort of slows down the, the opportunities that can come up through VR. So when the headsets become less expensive and we can do more things like that, I will explore that. But I do, I do feel that even simple things of me being with women or in groups and having interactions um, 
there's an experience that can come from that. We're working on a plan for um, a TED Talk salon that is breakout individual reacting to each other and doing these games with each other. And so I think experiences like that that involve the health, wellness, and even how men and women relate to each other is is a world that I'm looking at and and very, very interested in expanding. How, how would the virtual reality work? Well, the thing about virtual reality is, say you go to a movie and you see a great movie. Um, when you are immersed in virtual reality, you are feeling everything that is happening in that story. You, you, for instance, if it's about another culture or a situation that's very controversial, when you're in that, you can really form an opinion based on a real life experience. So it has really deep, a deep impact on how you behave after you've had that experience. So if it's looked at commercially, there's a myriad of concepts and ideas that can be done. But the most wonderful thing about VR is you can actually bring people together who have different opinions about things and have a similar experience that brings them together. So for me in the health and wellness area, unless you truly understand intimately of how important lifestyle is to survival, you won't change behavior. So there are ways to help change behavior through awareness. And so VR is a great way to do it. And then AI can change the, the way we shop. So I believe we can do customized style. So I know about enough things now that if you came onto my website or onto this platform and you wanted to have a little black dress, but you wanted your little black dress to have long sleeves, a ruffle collar, a skirt mid-calf down, and you can pick the fabric you want, that could actually be done. There's technology that you can click into, and then that pattern can go to a factory in China who can make that and have it shipped. And there's enough similarity in all the components to make that little black dress. There's a certain sloper. There are a sleeve is a sleeve. It can be to here, to here, to here. You can put trims, you can do different things. So there's the possibility of doing that, where you can then become the designer yourself. So that's why I was saying to you, I understand that other people can design. I think anybody can design. But I'm a pattern maker, and I understand the ultimate possibilities of a little black dress. So if you and I can share an experience of like what you want, your custom little black dress, I've taken shopping to another level with technology. So it's, it's 
a little bit of a fantasy now, but it's not far from being a reality. So there is something about the inventive nature of creating bespoke um, shopping on the internet. So there is that, and there are lots of other things that I'm excited about. So when I think about celebrities designing, I say, okay, well then why can't you design, why can't this person design a dress? Well, everybody should be able to, not just celebrities. If you want your style and then you want to sell it, we can help you do that. So I think that there's doors opening, and I like kind of playing around in that area. So you're talking about the virtual reality is a little bit like those coloring books you had as kids that you would paste on the dress and paste on the shoes mm -hmm. and change them. As, 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 as artificial intelligence. That would be the artificial intelligence part of it. So you can, so for instance, you can have an avatar and the avatar can have your body, so you can adjust the bust, the hips, the waist, you can put your face on it, and that avatar can walk and move around, and then you dress it. You take these parts and you dress it, and, and then it walks, and if the fit is a little funny, you can tweak the fit, and then when you're finished, that becomes a pattern. There is actually technology can do this now. And so you click, and then off it goes. All these pattern pieces are in a factory being cut and shipped directly to your house. I mean, why not? Why not? It's not, it's not an impossible concept. So to me, I'm on it. I'm, I see great fun there, great possibilities. And I'm just talking little black dress now. It could be anything. It could just be whatever your mind wants to think of. But it's controllable at the beginning as a little black dress. So funny. Yeah, you're the designer. I'm not. And I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, there are plenty of people out there that can take advantage of this technology and style stuff. But they can't design anything. You know, taking the feather, the 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 sleeves and the neck and this. No, I don't think they can do that. I mean, you know, I think you could do it, but uh, you know what? That's a difference between uh, the great creative, original, provocative street style we see in New York City. But that's uh, different than a that's, creative designer. Yeah. It's just so funny that uh, you're. Uh, uh, democratizing this whole uh, but, this whole process, but the, but street style—that's another thing. So you know, going back to this gender fluid. So if you think of Mick Jagger and his creativity, right? And so if you think about people now and the way they put themselves together in a creative way, I think that is going to start exploding again. Where the way it was in the 70s where people put clothes together and nobody looked the same, I think that's coming back. And that's where the fashion creativity is going to come from. It's not going to come from the 
holiest designers, it's going to come back to how you put things together. And that I'm so happy for because there's been a drought of that personal style and creativity. Totally, totally dry. And I'm starting to see it again. And, and it's amazing because all of those kids are just in love with the 70s and the spirit of the 70s. And so it's a new time and they're gonna take it to a new place. But I like to see men be more creative with clothes. I think young guys are just awesome. They look amazing. And I think women who are less dependent on brands and labels to identify who they are and, and everything they can do to their faces and all of that are going to start to look better and be freer and not be so... I mean, everybody looks like an avatar sometimes because they're so, like, programmed in the way they look because Instagram forces them to have the perfect look for when they do a selfie. But having this more casual, carefree spirit and not caring if it's not perfect is desperately needed right now. And that's really, to me, where fashion is right now, the hope of that really building and expanding. And I think it's going to last because Gen Z are very open. They're really a creative group of, of young kids that I see doing really fun things. And I'm hoping that it, it continues with them. It died when AIDS took over. I mean, it, AIDS stopped it in the 70s and 80s. It just ended it, and it was not going to come back until only people our age have a memory of what AIDS was about. But now, it's the memory is sort of past, and there's a free space for that to happen again. So that's the, the really good news. In the 70s, uh, would you uh, consider yourself uh, uh, a shy person? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very. So, so would fun. you, in the 70s, would you consider yourself a shy person? Yes. <laughs> but now in the, uh, in the era when I'm still a shy person. Um. But, but you seem to have shed your shyness along the road. And what do you attribute well, that to? Well, I mean, I had to learn, I, I had to learn that in order to continue to have a creative life, I had to learn how to tell my story and sell myself, which was the hardest thing for me to do, as hard as it is for you to do. And so I started to figure out how to do it because it's not it wasn't natural to me it's not natural to you so remember Alice yes I decided to she knew how to do that and I didn't I didn't have a template so I decided to imitate Alice and pretend to do what Alice would do if she were in that situation and so I pretended to be Alice for a while 
And when I started to see how it worked, that I got a good response when I did what Alice would do, then I shed Alice and I found that I had a voice. But it was really hard and it took time. But I understood that if I couldn't sell myself, I was really at the peril of not being able to have a creative life. So. I was so afraid not to have a creative life that I took to imitating Alice. But uh, you, you're much more outgoing, much more outgoing. Oh, really? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, what? Why? How are you? I mean, isn't it sort of the same where you have to speak for yourself? Speaking about the work and speaking about uh, business has, has never been an issue. You know, it's a, being on, uh, shy on a, on, on a personal level. But um, it just made me forget the question. Well, but, but that I, might have been a deliberate tactic. Yeah. No, but I, I also think, you know, the interesting thing is once the Studio 54 film went on... Um, Netflix, geez, do you believe how many people watch Netflix? Because I can't go anywhere without somebody saying, so I'm in an elevator at the airport or wherever, and somebody's like, oh, didn't I? It's like, oh my God. So everybody says to me um, how, how impressed they were with how vulnerable you were and how open you were. And for me, from the first time I saw the film, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, he's so shy. He's so quiet about those personal things. How, how is he going to be able to do this? And it was just like, Knowing the the you that I know, and then thinking, holy shit, how's he going to do this? So, how did you how did you come to terms with deciding that you were able to do that? Uh, well, I trusted Matt. Matt turned out was a director, and I <clears throat> excuse me, I. Um, I, I trusted him and I liked him. And I, I thought that, uh, you know, I had ultimate control. I could have taken out anything I wanted to take out. Uh, and uh, that I would um, open up and if I didn't like it, I would take it out. But uh, things in life are never that simple. So, you know, I was happy to be involved uh, with, a, with a good project. Uh, and um, so it's uh, onward. Uh, we may even make a dramatic um, film of it now, which mm. we are uh, thinking about. And it was just um, having uh, fun with it. Mm. You know, but to me, it was a very personal, and uh, I don't like being um, that personal. Out there. Well, I mean, that's why. A little late to say that. We're having that conversation, and and that was really open and personal. But I looked vulnerable. 
Well, vulnerable in a very appealing way, obviously, to a lot of people. Uh, you know, I'm too close to the picture to, like, yeah. to, but when I hear it, I think the impact that you had on people, especially people who had never gone to Studio 54, had only heard about it maybe two generations away, seriously, uh, were impacted by your openness and the vulnerability and the ability to really be so self-aware. I mean, that's a big thing. That's true honesty when you're self-aware and you are able to communicate it. So I, I think I, I think in the end that was brave, but I think it had a very positive effect. And it's not, to be honest, I think doing a dramatic version of Studio 54 would be an awesome idea because it would be completely different. And I think while that story was so perfect for the time now, I think the fantasy also, the, the experiences you created and the, 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 what went into each of those and the, the, the whole stories behind them can't be done unless it is done dramatically. And I think that would just be, you know, really, really a fun, inspiring movie appropriate in another way for this time and completely different and I think people would love it well we're working on it so good. we'll see good I'm happy to hear it and um, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, new castle my new castle well um, I am living in an Ian Schrager Dream, which is just such a spectacular building. Um, every every Uber driver that comes to pick me up was like, "Oh my God, it's just this oasis in the desert almost. It's really such a splendid piece of architecture." So, um, but your apartment. Well, so the apartment um, now. I love minimal, 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 because for me, creatively, the less there is. So I took down bedroom walls because I just, open space would work. And so um, we had some compromises on that, but um, I the, the light in the space really is so, comforting to me and the view of the river so it's really quite beautiful and you have to come up and see it I know my daughter's apartments also it's almost like uh, uh, it transcends you know the, the people that I have relationships with uh, to me it's a project I completed so I move on mm. but, uh, but you have to come back because actually the Everything is looking better and better the more there's people and the more energy and the and the willow trees in the courtyard and all of that are blooming and so it's really I think you'll come back and look at it with a fresh eye because there's people and there's energy there 
and the people that work in the building are just amazing. It's like super concierge, so it's really so special. Do you remember when you lived in an 18th century palace <laughs> on 82nd Street? 80th Street. 80th Street. <laughs> That wasn't minimal. That was maximum. No. Maximum, oh my maximum. God, Marty can't even believe that I live like that. So, I remember as a kid living on East Seventy Seventh Street, and every time it rained, we would all go to the museum to get out of the rain and with brownies and junk food. And we'd sit there and all of this great inspiration, not knowing we were just getting out of the rain. And every time we would walk to the museum, we'd pass these beautiful buildings. And I remember looking at them and looking in the windows and being just in awe of the, the architecture and the spirit of what, what happened in there when they were built. And you know, I was fascinated by old New York, so I read all about it. And then I remember when I started to make some money, my accountant and my lawyer both said, you need to buy something. It's like, no, I don't think I can afford anything. No, you need to buy something. So my, I had a broker who said, there are two people who are selling their apartments in this building at 2 East 80th Street. And I was like, what? I know that building is part of the Woolworth Estate. So I went in, and as you know, I had the whole lower half of it, and I felt compelled to give it some sort of decorative glory, and I went overboard. <laughs> well, I think you had been collecting furniture yeah. for a while. Yeah, vintage, I mean, really, really an assortment of odd well, you were Your furniture. into that uh, uh, kind of very ornate yep. decorative, which was kind of contradictory mm -hmm. to a modern woman, uh, but uh, it was kind of interesting. And so I felt, um, I felt like the caretaker for the, for the place, and then one day I was having a party, and I actually entertained, as you know, the, and I, I was having a party, and I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt, and the guys who were delivering the party rental stuff were looking around, and they said, who lives here? And I said, oh, some lady. And I thought, I couldn't say me. It's time for me to move. So I just moved, and I, I got rid of everything. I sold everything. I auctioned things, and I totally, I think it was my 50th birthday, and I got rid of all of my possessions. And at the emptiness, as you will see, is still carrying that forward, where if I'm not using it, I don't want it. I don't want a decorative thing that doesn't have a purpose. So it's hard getting used to for some people. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, the funny thing about it is John Pawson, who's really a, a, a great designer, yeah. uh, considered himself a, a minimalist uh, and um, um, a very talented guy, is married to a woman who uh, worked for a, a, a design firm in London, Colfax and Fowler, mm. who are really mm. very, very, very traditional. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, she can't 
have anything showing anywhere in the apartment. Uh, but so I guess. Uh, you know, you love your mate, yeah. you love what they come with. Yeah, no, it's really, I'm, I, there was the introduction of a grandfather clock, but not a cool grandfather clock, a real traditional, and I was like, oh my God, this could be a real discussion here, and I just was A like, grandfather clock for Marty. Yeah, not from somebody that he knew from a hundred years ago who decided to give him the grandfather clock, and I said... I, I just, I'm sorry. I just don't, don't know how this. Can we, can we keep it in the storage room downstairs? <laughs> because a grandfather clock in a minimal space could be interesting. No, 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 no. It could be, but, um, but you know, it's not really. But um, I think Michael described the apartment as a polar bear in a snowstorm. <laughs> That's how white it is. Uh, Michael said it came out really beautiful. (laughs) It did, but it is very, you know, sparse. So, um, and I made some cut and sew furniture that I'm dying for you to see. You made furniture? Yeah. Created furniture? Yeah, just on the sewing machines downstairs. So they're a lot of fun. Are you done with decorating it? No, I haven't really begun. I just took furniture from Mount Kisco and now I'm starting to make these pieces of furniture that are just blobs and see how it is living with those. Then you have I, curtains? No, I just did shades. Are you thinking about curtains or not? I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm loving the light so much that I'm, I just love having it pour in that I don't want to have anything. And I'm getting used to the space. I mean, it's it's a big change. And in the morning, it's like an explosion. Oh, of light it's amazing. With the sun. Uh, yeah, it's or amazing. in the afternoon. In the afternoon, sunset. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And then, of course, we see the Empire State Building in the back and the Statue of Liberty, and and just you know seeing the river. Like I can't believe you're not seeing the river. That you, I know where you live is so fantastic, but the river and the sunset are so just perfect. They're so calming. And every time we sit and look at the river, we just say, we, we're just so lucky. We are so lucky to be able to have that. Very calming. Yeah, and and I don't see any need for art or any decoration because the sky, the sun, the color, the river, that's, well, even when you showed the apartments in those rooms, it was really not about the art. It was about all of the nature and the color of the sky. And it's, what can be better than that? So, well, thank you very much. Oh, I'm really, I'm really appreciative. I was just about to reveal some of the secrets, enormous secrets. So uh, if there is a sequel to this uh, podcast, I will tell everyone all of the secrets that uh, I've been keeping quiet all these years. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Okay.